That's big time. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Oh, did he belt that one? Intensity is not a perfume. It was a no-doubter. Five, four, three, two, one. We are up in the bird's nest here at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. I'm Brendan Mortensen, joined by Matt Bonaparte. We were almost joined by Kevin Brown, hence the mics. But it's just us today. Just we us. still hang out. Matt, you were recently... Uh, we've got to bring this up off the top because it's, it's one of the crazier things that I've heard you say in the last 20 minutes. You said before we came on here that you were recently added to a group chat of all Matt's. Yeah. And, and you discuss true. two things. What, what are those two things? I don't discuss any of these things. Oh, you I, don't? I don't discuss anything, all right? I was just added to 450 other mats. 450 They discuss two mats. things in there. Gambling and how much they hate mics. They don't like mics. They don't like mics, all right? I was shook. They would not. My father is a mic. <laughs> Your father's a mic. So I was like, I don't know. I mean, what? He has not contributed to the eternal war between Matts and Mikes. No, I actually called him. He has last promoted night. neutrality. I called him to to leak the info to him. I was like, "You guys should start a defense over there in the Mikes." Yeah, because well, the somebody has to. It, the Mats are uh, they're building numbers and and they are launching an offensive. It really begs the question of what other names have really just a lot of beef with another very specific name. So we were talking, I mean, this one's clear. This one is clear. Brandon and Brendan. Yeah. That one's obvious. Uh, that you one guys is have obvious. been jawing for a long time. Yeah. I haven't brought it up with Brandon Hyde, but I might have to at some point. Yeah. I mean, I think for the Brendans, of course, you get mistaken for Brandons very often. All the That's got to hurt for you. It, that was a plight in middle school. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was tough. Every teacher, first day. Brendan or Brandon? It was Brendan every time. Read it. Didn't change it. It was still Brendan. Anyway, we've got Orioles baseball to discuss. Obviously, the Orioles fall short in the ALDS, swept in three games by the Texas Rangers. We're not going to break down game three too awful much. Look, the Rangers are a buzzsaw right now. They, they have They're won really good. seven consecutive games to begin the 2023 playoffs. That is almost a record. It is up there with the 2014 Kansas City Royals who won eight games in a row to begin that postseason. And, of course, the Orioles just decide to run into both of those teams. Yeah, Because why, why don't they? I mean, yeah. the Orioles win 101 games, run into a Rangers team that is close to tying the Royals' record. And then in 2014, when they won 96 games, they run into the Royals, who have the record. Yes. Not great. Yeah, no, it's tough. Yeah, is what it tough is. luck. Uh, this Rangers team is really good. Uh, and I think we knew that. But, you know, the Orioles are really good, too. It's just that the Rangers are... People are bringing up this postseason, I feel like, more than any other MLB postseason about the whole first seed with the bye is hurting teams because the Braves went down, the Dodgers went down, Astros are down 2-0, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, so A lot of the blah, blah, blahs. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if that actually has any merit, but a lot of people are throwing out the muscle memory. They were winning every day. They're playing every day, and then they took a week off. They came back, and it wasn't the same. I don't know if you feel like that has any merit. I kind of don't. I, I don't think it has as much merit as people are trying to make it out to be. Yeah. I mean, Michael Elias and Brandon Hyde both kind of said, like, we're not going to blame a week off for losing mm -hmm. in the postseason and, and getting swept by the Texas Rangers. 
Brandon Hyde said kind of jokingly, like, it certainly didn't help that we had a week off, but there definitely were guys on this team, too, that could have used a few days off. I mean, you had some injuries down the stretch, guys like Cedric Mullins, who were trying to get healthy. So I'm not going to sit here and say that having a week off is the reason that the Orioles lost, and, and the Orioles aren't either. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, they say that didn't help, but it's kind of built to help. So should they not do it? In the future, like it, it's yeah. it's a really weird um, thing because obviously you'd think that the, the first instinct is that the break is going to help. You know, you get off your tired legs, the arms get to rest for a couple of days, the bullpen's going to be fresh going in. This, that, and the other thing, you're going to throw your best starter game one, um, but it hurts in the end. But yeah, the only suggestion that I've really heard is maybe you give the wild card team one less day off than they had before. Well, I think also with the wild card being a series now, it's a little bit different. When it was just one game, it was yeah, like and game, every bang, wild bang. card series was a sweep this yeah. year. So it gave the wild card team I believe, another day off. Yeah. In the history of wild card series, I think only one of them hasn't been a sweep. Yeah. It's a stat I saw. That's that's kind of crazy. Just make it a game. Look, the the playoff format is what it's gonna be. The Orioles lost in the ALDS that's the reality here. We are posing the question today of whether or not the 2023 season was a success. And that is the question that a lot of Orioles fans have had. A lot of Orioles writers have been contributing to over the last week or so. We have taken the week to digest, to take a step back from kind of the sting of losing game three of the ALDS. And we're going to take a look at kind of the season as a whole. What didn't go as well as you had hoped? What went better than expected? We're going to start to preview some storylines for the offseason that we are going to break down further in depth in shows in the weeks to come. We're going to kind of preview that a little bit. I would say just overall to start before we get into kind of what didn't go well in the season because there's a lot fewer points that we are going to hit on that front about what didn't go well. Overall, just answering the question off the top, I think it is unequivocally a successful season. Obviously, given the context of the playoffs, here's how I kind of view the end of the season here. If somebody had told you at the beginning of the year that the Orioles lost in the ALDS, before the season, you probably would have went, that's probably a successful season because the Orioles, A, made the playoffs. B, at that point, you probably would have assumed that they were a wild card team. Not many people gave them a chance in the AL East. I mean, this team included said it's going to be a, a real uphill battle to win the AL East. So if you told me that they lost in the ALDS, I'd probably say that's great on a few fronts. A, they made the playoffs. B, they probably won a wild card series. And an ALDS appearance is a really nice step in the right direction. Obviously, getting swept in the ALDS, given the context of the fact that you won 101 games, you were the number one seed in the American League, at that point it becomes disappointing, but you have to take yourself back to where we were before the season, and if you had said the Orioles lost in the ALDS, I would have told you that was a step in the right direction. 
Yeah, expectations are everything at the end of the day. And to your point, the expectation going into the year was not that the Orioles were going to win 101 games. So No, you were looking for a playoff berth. Exactly. That was the goal if they could get that. And I think a lot of fans out there thought there was even an opportunity or a chance that they'd take a step back. Uh, this season, which obviously they did not, and they went out in 101 games. So from those expectations, yeah, huge success. They they exceeded everybody's expectations as far as I'm concerned uh, with their regular season play. Obviously, you don't want to get swept in the ALDS, but like you said, when you take the big picture, I think it's really difficult not to say this season was a huge success. Right. I think this season was absolutely a success for uh, Baltimore fans, for the Orioles, for everybody in this city because they were fantastic. We saw what they can do, uh, and that and one playoff series is not indicative of how good they are. Right. So with that in mind, uh, let's kind of break down what didn't go so well and what went really well this year. We'll start with the not so good because okay. that is a much a shorter, shorter list, list yeah. than the what went well in 2023. Obviously, first and foremost is the playoffs. Getting swept in the ALDS is not the result you want given the fact that you were the number one seed in the American League, but we just talked about kind of the context of it. And if you told me that before the season, I consider it a win. In the playoffs themselves, you're looking at kind of the core pieces that are going to be here down the line. And you did see some struggles from Cedric Mullins and Adley Rutschman in the lineup and Grayson Rodriguez on the mound as well. Those are three guys that are going to be in this team and a big part of this team for a really long time. And to see them struggle in the playoffs, it's a very small sample size. You have three games out of Adley Rutschman and Cedric Mullins and just one start out of Grayson Rodriguez. Small sample size, I'm not reading all that much into it, but it is still disappointing that those guys didn't deliver as much as you were hoping in the ALDS. Yeah, absolutely. When your team makes the playoffs, you want to see your heavy hitters and the guys you've relied on all year to still be capable of being relied on. I mean, look at the Phillies. Schwarber and Harper seem to hit home runs every single night. Yeah. Uh, and. You know that's what you want, but at the same day, at the same time, those guys are kind of seasoned veterans who've been in the playoffs many, many times. Mullins, of course, is a veteran, but Adley's not. Neither is Grayson Rodriguez. So I think uh, playoff experience definitely plays into that. But also, there's something to be said about guys who get hot at the end of the year. Um, some guys on this team really struggled right at the end of the season, and when you head into the playoffs struggling, that doesn't always help. Adley wasn't one of those guys, so it was a little surprising to see his bat be a little cold. But, yeah, I mean, you don't like to see Mullins and Adley struggling at the plate, Grayson on the mound, um, but it is what it is. Yeah, Mullins dealing with some injuries down the stretch. have to imagine that, that may have yes. played a part in his struggles there. But for Adley Rutschman and Grayson Rodriguez, they're going to be back in this spot, and now they have playoff experience against a really good playoff team in the Texas Rangers. Elsewhere in the lineup, looking at the season as a whole, you did see some regression at the plate for Jorge Mateo and not as great of a season defensively from Ramona Rios. I think both of those things can probably be attributed to the fact that they just weren't getting as many everyday reps as they were getting in 2022. Ramona Rios and Jorge Mateo were pretty much fixtures for that time before you saw Gunnar Henderson in the big leagues, before you saw Jordan Westberg in the big leagues. And now that prospects have been worked into the fold, harder for guys like Mateo and Arias to consistently get into a rhythm. 
we're going to talk about it. Again, I'm sure this is going to be an, an entire show down the stretch. But I think given the fact that you saw some struggles here and there from Jorge Mateo and Ramon Rios really opens the door for a conversation about what prospects could potentially be banging down the door for those spots as potential utility guys down the stretch for the Orioles. Yeah, it was a different year for them, for sure, for Urias and Mateo. Um, Mateo did go four for four in game two, which yeah. was, I don't know, I mean, nobody expected that. That was great. Um, shout out him. But yeah, like you said, when those guys came up and when Gunner now is going to win Rookie of the Year and he's a full-fledged star in the league, guys like Mateo and, and Urias, they lose time. Um, but they were still valuable when they were on the field. Uh, but they did take a step back. So there are decisions to be made. uh, And like you said, we'll probably have plenty of podcasts about uh, those potential decisions. But for now, I mean, you kind of look at it and you say, yeah, they did regress a little bit. Um, Do you value Westberg over those guys? Yeah. That that's going to be the question. And looking at prospects in triple a Norfolk that have had really nice seasons like Joey Ortiz and Connor Norby, Definitely going to be a conversation about their roles versus what you get out of Arias and Mateo. Moving on to the pitchers, obviously, I think the biggest, I don't want to say it's a, it's it's an injury. It's not like something went completely wrong at the plate or on the field or something like that. Injuries suck. They happen. The biggest injury that sucked this year was to Felix Bautista who undergoes Tommy John surgery, and we won't see him for all of 2024. Not much to say about it, other than the yeah. fact that it stinks. It's the worst. It is. It's the worst thing that could have happened to yeah. him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's not his fault. It's not anybody's fault. It just happened. Uh, and it, it's really tough that we're not going to see him for the entirety of next year. Uh, but I will say it's going to be, it adds an interesting fold to the offseason in terms of what we might see Mike Elias do and go out there and try and bolster the back end of the bullpen. Uh, our own Rock Kabatko wrote an article about whether or not Mike Elias and the Orioles front office will go out for a closer this offseason, try and sign somebody, trade for somebody. Maybe Josh Hader gets a look. Who knows? Uh, But Felix Bautista was absolutely dominating at the time that he went down. The guy was in AL Cy Young contention. How often does that happen uh, to a bullpen arm? So, of course, Bautista going down is awful, and it really is brutal for next year as well. But what can you do? Yeah, again, opens up. Another show for us where we will more than likely be talking about how the Orioles replace Felix Bautista in 2024, whether it is internal candidates like Yanir Cano, whether it is signing somebody in free agency to come in and be a rental closer for a year until Felix Bautista comes back. Maybe it's somebody like Dylan Tate who comes back for injury. We will see what the Orioles decide to do next year. The other two points here that we will hit on kind of quickly are acquisitions. And Michael Elias said that if you want to talk about any sort of shortcomings from this season, that those shortcomings should be placed on his shoulders. And you did get contributions from the acquisitions this year. We're going to talk at length about the great acquisitions that the Orioles made this season. But if you want to look at a place where the Orioles are probably or maybe wishing that they had taken a bigger swing, that's the trade deadline. And you didn't get 
as much production as you were hoping for from Jack Flaherty, who didn't end up making the playoff starting rotation, and Shintaro Fujinami, who doesn't end up making the ALDS roster. Obviously, with hindsight being 2020, maybe you wish that you had gone after another bullpen arm given the injury to Felix Bautista. Obviously, could have used some more help at the back end of the bullpen. And maybe you wish that you had gone after, you know, maybe a higher impact starting pitcher, one that would have been in your playoff starting rotation. Hindsight is 2020. Michael Elias made a lot of incredible moves this season that we're going to talk about. But maybe the trade deadline is a place that you look at and say they probably could have gotten a little bit more contribution there. Yeah, I mean, you take a bigger swing, maybe things are different. But, I mean, like you said, you don't know what would have happened uh, if they did that. Jack Flaherty was the guy they went with. I don't know necessarily that uh, it panned out the way that they hoped it would. But, like you said, maybe you would have rather seen Chintaro Fujinami on the roster, but his numbers were not Felix-like or anything like that either. So, um Maybe you take a bigger swing at the deadline. Maybe they go out and get a guy like the Rangers did in Jordan Montgomery. Things are different, but who knows? And uh, apologies to uh, whoever is following along with us live on YouTube and Facebook, as apparently our internet connection is not very good. Ruthless. Sorry about that. We're going we're gonna to keep talking, though. Let's move on to the things that were really good from this season, because there were a lot of really good things. Didn't need to spend too much time talking about the stuff that didn't work. Obviously, off the bat, you won 101 games. You were the one seed in the American League. You survived the gauntlet of the AL East. And not only did you survive that gauntlet, you had a winning record against every other team in the division. You went 7-6 and six against the Red Sox and Yankees, 8-5 and five against the Tampa Bay Rays, a team that had been your Achilles heel in the past. And you go 10-3 and three against a, another playoff team in the Toronto Blue Jays. Not only were you the one seed, but you really dominated the rest of the division. Yeah. I mean, they slapped everybody silly. They were ridiculously good. Yeah. Um, they won so many close games. They won so many road games, more road wins than anybody in the league with 52. So they were fantastic. 101 wins doesn't lie. They just kept winning. Uh, and that's because of the talent that was all around the roster. So... Yeah, like you said, I mean, it doesn't matter really who they faced, and maybe you can make the argument that some of the big hitters in the AL East, like the Yankees and Red Sox, had a down year, but I don't really think that matters. They went out and they played whoever was on the schedule, and they beat them. So, yeah, more power to them. Spent 77 days in first place. You had 48 comeback wins. That's a lot. It's a lot of comeback wins. Tells you a lot about this team. Tells you a lot about the mentality in the clubhouse. You also went 52-29 and 29 on the road this season. Yeah. That's really hard to do. That's one of the best road records in all of baseball this season, I think just behind the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, they, um, they would, again, they went into anybody's ballpark, including their own, and they won. Um, and that's just not something that many teams do, let alone teams that didn't make the playoffs last year. Right. So when you talk about that jump, I think that in itself proves success. And one of the coolest things to see this year was, and for me, for somebody who has been on this show for the last, what, three, four years at this point, we have always talked about Gunnar Henderson, Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez, Kyle Bradish down in the minors, what they could potentially contribute down the line. And now, when you are in the 2023 offseason, looking ahead to 2024, when you are pitching 
the Baltimore Orioles two potential free agents who could be looking to join your team. You can say we have an incredible young core led by two superstars in Gunnar Henderson, who is going to win American League Rookie of the Year, Adley Rutschman, who was an all-star, put on a show at the Home Run Derby. He is a household name and one of, if not the best catchers in baseball. And you have two young star pitchers in Kyle Bradish, who had the fourth best ERA in baseball this season. In Grayson Rodriguez, who after being recalled from AAA Norfolk, looked like an ace and, and showed that potential down the stretch. You have two superstars in the lineup. Two excellent young pitchers. That is a heck of a core that you know is established going into 2024. And they've got the guy to build around it, Mike Elias. Um, He's definitely got his work cut out for him for the offseason. He said that the only thing he thinks about every day of his life is the the logjam of prospects and what to do with them. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does with them because, you know, I mean, there's no hiding it. They have an incredible amount of young talent, but there's only nine positions to be filled on the field. So you only really throw out so many guys. Yeah. so they've got to do something there. And what they will do, I'm sure, will be the right move. But um, I don't really know what that is. So, And I'm not necessarily sure that uh, Elias does at this moment either. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do there. But like you said, they've got two superstars that they grew. Um, and they've got Grayson Rodriguez and Kyle Bradish, who both pitched like aces down the stretch. So they've got the talent. It's just about continuing to surround them with guys that are going to get them to the playoffs. Yeah, and again, that's that's going to be a whole other show at some point this offseason. Michael Elias was asked at his end-of-the-year press conference about a contract that we saw from somebody like Nathan Avaldi, who goes for you know two, three years, 30, 40 million. I believe it was MassInSports.com's Steve Molesky who asked if Elias felt like he was, you know, going to be able to give out that sort of contract this season if that was something that they would be looking at. And Michael Elias said, yeah. And he hinted at the fact, too, that they had had those kinds of contracts and trades on the table that just didn't end up working out at the end of the day. So we'll see how Elias is able to surround this young core, but it is an excellent one. And let's dive a little bit deeper into those two starting pitchers that I mentioned. Kyle Bradish established himself as a frontline starter. And again, we have talked about it before, but this is somebody who we thought of as, you know, if Kyle Bradish was a number three starter in the big leagues, given his prospect status as, you know, he wasn't even a top five prospect in this Orioles system, which probably says more about the Orioles system than it says about Kyle Bradish. But we thought of Bradish as a number three, number four starter. And if you got that, you were going to be really happy. Now, I'm safely looking at Kyle Bradish as a very good number two starter in this league with the potential to be a number one. There are only a handful of true ace guys in this league, like true, true number ones. That's really hard to find. I I wouldn't say that there are 30 of them just because there are guys that are number one starters. Probably venture to say there's 10 of them right now, 10, 15 in the league that you could look at and say you're a number one guy. Kyle Bradish has that kind of potential, which yeah. is not something you could say before the season. He had an incredible, of course not, not before the season. I don't think anybody expected that uh, this kind of year out of him before the season started. Um, but 
he definitely has the potential to get there, but it's it's a, like you said, it's a very difficult thing to do, and yeah. I'm not sure that he will. And to do it, you've got to put together like three or four incredible seasons, uh, or just a couple that are otherworldly. So if he goes out and does this again, yeah, absolutely, he gets that nod. Um, so he definitely has the potential. We've seen that this year, and if he can continue it, that is so huge uh, for the Orioles season. I mean, having a two eight three ERA is nothing to scoff at, yeah. especially in a baseball world in which home runs are king, uh, and you know people's slugging percentages are higher than they've ever been. So shout out to Bradish and Grayson Rodriguez, of course, stumbling in the playoffs a little bit, but he looked awesome since he came back from Norfolk in July. Had a two fifty eight ERA in thirteen games. We know he had ace potential, and he showed it. Yeah, I mean, he was fantastic in that second stretch in the majors. Uh, he came back in July or June, I, July, right? July. July. And he was dominant. I mean, he was dominating hitters. So he comes back. I mean, he could be the one next year. You yeah. have two guys who could potentially be the ace of your staff. Right. You have three all-stars in Adley Rutschman, Felix Bautista, and Austin Hayes. In your Cano as well. And in your Cano. You got four. Sorry, four all-stars. Adley Rutschman put on a heck of a show in the Home Run Derby. He already kind of was a household name, but very much became one, which doesn't say a lot about the 2023 season, but it is just cool that the Orioles have these sort of household names with Adley Rutschman. I think Gunnar Henderson is getting there as well. Four All-Stars career seasons out of Ryan Mountcastle, Austin Hayes. You had a great season out of Anthony Santander. And then you had solid contributions from veterans that you brought in this year. Kyle Gibson, Adam Frazier, James McCann. Not massive contributors this year. I mean, Kyle Gibson didn't end up starting a playoff game. Adam Frazier turned into, you know, kind of a platoon bat with Jordan Westberg at second base. James McCann was an excellent backup catcher, was really reliable. Those guys didn't propel you to 101 wins this season on the field. But it's hard to say, and it's hard to quantify, just what having those guys in the clubhouse meant this season. We have talked about it in the past with players like Rugnet Odor and Robinson Chirinos in 2022. Brandon Hyde was asked about it this year and, and pretty much say this, said the same thing. I mean, it's invaluable to have somebody like Kyle Gibson on your pitching staff with young guys like Kyle Bradish and Grayson Rodriguez that are trying to figure out how to do this thing in the big leagues. Adam Frazier, same thing. To have Frazier in the clubhouse, four guys like Gunnar Henderson, who played his first full big league season. They were locker Jordan mates. Westberg, who was called up. It, it's really invaluable. And the Orioles, I would imagine, are going to continue. Maybe they don't bring in a Gibson and a Frazier because you don't want to have a log jam here and there, but... It wouldn't surprise me if the Orioles continue to look for veteran guys like this that are able to help out this really young clubhouse and bring some really valuable experience. Yeah, and we saw it in an, in a situation this year where it was best-case scenario, where those guys came in and not only did they offer expertise and uh, you know the kind of advice and whatnot that only a veteran can, they also performed incredibly well on the field, which is not always a given with guys who you bring in to be that veteran presence. I mean, Ryan O'Hearn, Aaron Hicks, they were absolutely fantastic in the lineup. Kyle Gibson gave you 
so many quality starts, upward towards 20. Uh, so much success from those guys, not only uh, with the veteran presence, but also with their performance. Those guys were brought in either via trade in the case of James McCann or on pretty decently sized contracts in the case of Gibson and Adam Frazier. Kyle Gibson signs for $10 million there. $10 billion. $10 million. <laughs> And you also, you know, this is just how Mike Elias has been able to construct this team. He found diamonds in the rough again. He does it every single season. It is a huge credit to Mike Elias and his team in the Orioles front office to Sig Dell, who are able to find these types of talents that can contribute. I'm going to rattle off four names and just say, where would the Orioles be without these guys? Ryan O'Hearn, Aaron Hicks, Yenier Cano, and Danny Kulo. Shout out my boy Danny. We're all acquisitions that we just didn't make very much of. But where would the Orioles have been this season without those four guys? I don't think they would have won 101 games, no, I'll tell you that much. Certainly not. Uh, especially with Felix going down, the... The performance of Coulomb and Cano down the stretch was absolutely crucial. I yeah. mean, crucial. You could argue that Coulomb and Cano, after the Felix Bautista injury, were your two most reliable relievers down the stretch. I don't even know. DL if Hall, an right argument. in that conversation. Yeah, but it was Coulomb and Cano. And how about Ryan Mountcastle going down with vertigo halfway through the year? And, and Ryan there was O'Hearn. Ryan O'Hearn. Ryan O'Hearn came in and said, "Don't worry about it. Yep. I got you covered. Got it." Um, yeah, no, you're totally right. Those guys were so, so valuable uh, with what they did. O'Hearn just mashing the entire year. You put him in a big spot, he's going to deliver. Yep. That's what it felt like for a really, really long time. Uh, and in terms of the back end of the bullpen, yeah, Felix went down. He was a Cy Young candidate when he did, but he got picked up by two really, really reliable guys. Ryan O'Hearn was acquired from the Kansas City Royals for cash in January. Yeah, Ryan O'Hearn, they gave up on him. Ryan O'Hearn was, I think, DFA'd by the Orioles in the offseason. Really? Brought him back. Wow. Yeah. Ryan O'Hearn, they just wanted to, to find a way to keep him in the organization. He was in the discussion with Lewin Diaz and Franchi Cordero in spring training as to who would be the backup first baseman on this team. Lewin Diaz ends up spending the entire season in AAA Norfolk. And Franchi Cordero ends up going to the Yankees having two or three outstanding weeks. Remember the Franchi Cordero conversations? Oh, I remember the Franchi Cordero (laughs) conversations. Yeah, where the Orioles looked like fools for a week for not keeping Franchi Cordero. And then Ryan O'Hearn just posted an 800 OPS for an entire season. Couldn't tell you where Franchi Cordero is. He was good for a little stretch there. Ryan O'Hearn became a fixture in your lineup against right-handed pitching. The Orioles didn't put him in any bad positions this year either. Just had 29 plate appearances against lefties, but he was a great platoon. And he was in the lineup against righties, hit over 290, would have hit 300 if it weren't for just a kind of a tough stretch. He was hitting 300 for so long. Yeah. And then right at the end. Tough stretch at the end of the season for O'Hearn, but he was unbelievable. And to lose Ryan Mountcastle midseason with vertigo and to just not skip a beat is outstanding. You lost Cedric Mullins in the middle of this season, too, and Aaron Hicks came in, and you still didn't skip a beat. And Aaron Hicks, somebody who signed a big contract extension with the New York Yankees, the Yankees gave up on him because he just wasn't playing very well in New York, gets a change of scenery, and uh, again, is just one of the better hitters in the lineup this year, one of four Orioles to have an OPS over 800. Guy who came up in big spots. Yeah. 
Um, and another guy who filled in, like you said, when Mullins went down, who was just filled in and said, all right, I got you. Uh, and a switch hitting bat, he was fantastic. And brought really maybe the only playoff experience that this team yeah, and he was really, really had this year. I mean, Kyle Gibson really hadn't had much of a taste of the playoffs. Aaron Hicks, one of the few guys on this roster that brought a ton of playoff experience, and it showed. Five RBIs in game two. Five RBIs in game two. Yenier Cano was a throw-in in the Jorge Lopez trade last year. I mean, we've talked about it. Came out of nowhere. ERA over 10 last year. Turns into one of the best relievers in baseball. Made the all-star team. You don't know where this team is without Yenier Cano. And Danny Coulomb, same sort of deal. I mean, he was a very late trade in spring training. Yeah. And then just was on the roster. I, I think Paul Mancano and I talked about it for maybe two minutes on this show because it was like, well, the Orioles traded for Danny Coulomb. I guess he might be on the roster. He was fine in his first few seasons before coming to Baltimore, and then he was great. He was fantastic. Um I mean, I talk about exceeding expectations in Danny Coulomb. Yeah. I got to say, I remember, and I told you, I, in, the, in the moment, I was like, this guy's going to be huge. And you were like, eh? Yeah, you you did. You were kind of <laughs> on the it. Danny Coulomb I trade. I called Coulomb. For no apparent reason either. I, well, it, I had my reasons. He was good. He was good for a long time. Never got a shot. He, he was solid. He was solid. That's my guy, Danny. Look, if you looked at me and said that Ryan O'Hearn, Aaron Hicks, Yenier Cano, or Danny Coulomb were going to be big contributors to the Orioles this year, you're looking at me and you're lying. <laughs> I told you Danny Coulomb was going to be good. That's a fact. It is. You even admitted it two seconds ago. It, you said he was going to be solid. I, I, I don't know about this sort of stretch. All right. Whatever you say, man. But Michael Elias just keeps doing this. And Michael Elias, I'm sure, is probably going to do it again next season. He's just going to get players that nobody thinks anything of, and then they're going to have an 800 OPS, or they're going to be an all-star reliever. And well, we're, then we're not going to know why we ever questioned him. He's in a dangerous situation now because now we expect it. Yeah. <laughs> now anybody that's a waiver claim is going to be like all-star. Yeah, they're going to be have the magnifying glass on him at all times. Yeah. So... Different world we're living in. I mean, like Jacob Webb, same there. thing. He was excellent down the stretch. I know he had a tough playoffs, but like Jacob Webb Jacob came Webb out of nowhere. Two great pitches. Gave that you great innings. Home runs. Ben McDonald started calling him every game Jacob Webb because yeah, he, he was just out there. Poor Jacob Webb, dude. Made two great pitches that ended up being home runs. Yeah. It's brutal. Tough. Overall takeaways again, we, we mentioned it off the top, but yes, this was a very successful 2023 season, much more successful than our internet connection on this live stream. You won 101 games. You finished as the one seed in the American League. It's a lot to build on going into 2024. And it's going to be incredibly beneficial for this offseason. I know that you didn't get any playoff wins, and that is disappointing. But going into the offseason, you are now able to pitch to free agents and say, hey, I mean, think about the case to pitchers at this point. We're, we're going to talk about it down the stretch. I think the Orioles probably will and should be looking at a frontline starting pitcher in this free agent market. You can now go to a frontline starting pitcher and say, hey, not only does Camden Yards not have one of the most hinder-friendly ballparks in baseball anymore, but we just won 101 games and we're the one seed in the American League and we just need a few pieces here and there to push us over the top to be a World Series contender. Yeah. 
That's I a mean, really easy pitch to make. You say, look, we have Gunnar Henderson. We have Adley Rutschman. We have the best farm system in baseball. Jackson Holiday is going to be on this team at some point next year. Everything is trending in the right direction. So why as a free agent would you not want to come to Baltimore? Also, you get to pitch Adley Rutschman as a guy that everybody raves about yep. in terms of how he manages the starting rotation as well as the bullpen. Um, I think that's huge for a starting pitcher. You want to go to a team that employs a catcher that nobody has a single bad thing to say about. Yeah. Uh, and the Orioles have that in Adley Rutschman. And, and James McCann is also fantastic yeah. as the backup. So I think that is also huge on top of having now a pretty pitcher-friendly ballpark and, and especially pitching to righties with the wall in left field uh, and a team, like you said, that could use an ace to throw it over the hump. Yeah, you're, you're really happy throwing to either Adley Rutschman or James McCann this season. Absolutely. That's going to continue to be the case. That's that's going to be my biggest offseason storyline, obviously, is what are the Orioles going to do in free agency? Are they going to make some moves that could potentially push them from you know, a, a playoff team to a World Series caliber team? Because I think they are a few moves away from being at that spot. Another offseason storyline is the same offseason storyline that it feels like we have had for years now. It is the logjam of prospects. Mentioned it with Jorge Mateo and Ramona Rios. Are we going to see guys like Joey Ortiz and Connor Norby potentially fill those spots this year? What are you going to do in the outfield? You have Colton Kowser, who has done nothing but produce in AAA Norfolk. He struggled a little bit in his time in the bigs. But Colton Kowser is still a top 15 prospect in baseball. And I expect Colton Kowser to be fighting for an opening day roster spot here. Heston Kerstad. I was about to say Kerstad I would expect well. the same thing to be fighting for an opening day roster spot. Michael Elias left the door open for Jackson Holiday being on this opening day roster. Hasn't gotten a ton of experience at AAA Norfolk, but it doesn't really look like he needs it. I was about to say, I don't, if anybody doesn't need experience, it's that guy. Yeah. Um, and it, every day it looks more and more like it's a possibility he could see the yeah. MLB on day, gate, uh, whoa, whoa. opening day. Yeah. Jackson Holiday could be here. Kobe Mayo could be here at some point next. Well, almost certainly will be here at some point next season. He will be fighting for an opening day roster spot because he has a good amount of experience at AAA Norfolk. On the pitching side, Chase McDermott, Cade Povich. What are we going to see out of Seth Johnson? Trace Bright, my guy. Trace Bright is moving up the ranks. At Seth Johnson, Chase McDermott, Cade Povich. Three names that I am looking at, all three trade acquisitions from last year's deadline. Three names that I'm looking at as guys that could potentially be in the rotation at some point in 2024. So the logjam of prospects is once again going to be really interesting because you have veteran players up in the bigs that are going to contribute and continue to contribute. Jorge Mateo and Ramona Rios have pretty defined roles at this point. So what are you going to do with the AAA guys that are knocking at the door? And then, you know, on some some smaller offseason keys, you know, who could they target in trades potentially if you do look to offload some veteran guys to make room for prospects or maybe you look to offload prospects to get veteran guys. We'll talk about some trades down the stretch. And then who do they retain in arbitration? The Orioles have a ton of guys that are arbitration eligible this season, a ton of guys that, you know, there's some no-brainers like Anthony Santander, that's a no-brainer. He's going to be back, even though he's going to be getting a big raise. And there are some guys that are, you know, fringe 26-man roster players, guys like Ryan McKenna, 
who is arbitration eligible. That's going to be a big discussion as well. There are going to be a lot of off-season storylines, and make sure you're tuning into the Bird's Nest because we're going to be breaking all of them down. We, we mentioned some of them in this show. A lot of reasons to be excited. I think we're going to have a lot of fun shows here where we're going to be talking about some really encouraging stuff for 2024. Absolutely. I'm pumped. Yeah. Should be a fun off-season. And we're going to do our you know traditional fun off-season shows, too. Myself and Paul Mancano kind of started the tradition of doing some fantasy drafts. In the offseason, having a special fantasy draft show, we're going to be tossing around some ideas for what fantasy draft we could be doing this offseason. If you have any ideas for an Orioles fantasy draft, please let us know in the comments. I think our last fantasy draft was an Orioles comment suggestion. A few ideas swirling around in the noggin, maybe an all-Orioles draft, Orioles draft. I'm in. As guys that, you know, the organization has drafted and they're contributing. I like it. Yeah. We're going to be tossing around ideas. We're going to have some fun off-season episodes for you. So make sure you are tuning in to the Bird's Nest all off-season long, hopefully with some better internet connection down the stretch. Make sure you tune in to the Bird's Nest for all of your off-season needs. We will be live Every Wednesday, most Wednesdays, maybe except for the holidays, at 11 a.m. on YouTube and Facebook, or you can catch us after the fact on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts or digital shows, you can find us. Big thank you to Amy Jennings behind the scenes for producing this one. For Matt Bonaparte, I'm Brandon Mortensen. We'll catch you next time.